today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. It's good to see you all. I'd like to uh, ask you to do something before uh, we go into the text. Um, in this season of, of heightened anxiety, um, in your seats, will you look at each other in the eyes and pass the peace of Christ? May the peace of Christ be with you. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I come here with uh, a sermon manuscript, but you come with something far greater and better. You come in the power of your spirit, and so we ask that you would lead us in this time. Open our hearts to all the things that you have to say to us, not just through this sermon, but through the music that we sing, through the prayers that we lift unto you, through the readings, the choir, the piano, every aspect of the worship may draw us closer to Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So in the sweltering summer of 1989, My sister and I, six and 10 years old then, woke up to the sounds of guns and shell fire. Though dad assured us that it was just hwayak, which is the Korean word for fireworks, it was clear that something was off. By that age, I had pulled enough pranks with firecrackers and pyrotechnical concoctions to know that the jarring sound that was coming from the outside was not fireworks. I can still remember mom's worried expression 
how she held my sister, how my dad peeked out the window multiple times. Though I wasn't aware at that time, I don't know how my dad held it together when he noticed that tanks were rolling by our neighborhood. The next morning, I overheard conversations of shutter stores, damaged buildings, overturned cars, and even dead bodies. On February the 2nd, the evening that my sister and I woke up, General Andres Rodriguez, the commander of Paraguay's first Army Corps, led a coup against the longtime president, Alfredo Stroznar. In the capital, a battle raged against, between Rodriguez's troops and hundreds of the presidential guards. Tanks rolled into the city center. Artillery units and naval vessels shelled parts of the capital. And looming ominously in the background was the larger geopolitical conflict of the Cold War. This was one of the fallouts in South America. And it happened to be the case that we lived three kilometers southwest of the Palacio de Lopez, which is the workplace of the president and seat of the government of Paraguay, and 2.4 kilometers northeast of the presidential residence. So we were literally in the middle of a violent coup. In my poor attempt to fall asleep, I had this deep sense that the world was deeply broken, that this was not how it's supposed to be. We look at this world, diseased by the pandemic, devastated by natural disasters, fractured by racial injustice, poisoned by those who abuse power, scarred and marred by wars, and we're overwhelmed. The continual discovery of unmarked graves of indigenous children. The 82.4 million who are forcibly displaced, 35 million of them being children under the age of 18. The growing social inequality, the 767 million who live on a salary of $1.9 a day, lacking access to education, food, and healthcare the modern-day slavery of 43.0 million who are being trafficked and abused. This is not how it's supposed to be. In Isaiah 11, we read of a world that is remarkably different from ours, a world that seems too good to be true, a world where wolves live with lambs, leopards rest with goats, cows feed with bears, and infants play near cobras a world free of animosity and hate, a world healed, reconciled, made whole, a world made right again. And as it, as it is the case with us, these, these words in Isaiah, it must have sounded too good to be true to those who first heard it in Isaiah's time. Because you see, the, their country, the kingdom of Judah, was spiraling down into chaos. Uzziah, one of their most powerful kings since Solomon, had died. Political unrest ensued. Social inequality was at its peak. The poor and the needy were being neglected. The widows and the fatherless were being exploited. Faith had turned into empty religion, and the fabric of society was coming undone. And to make things worse, Tiglath Pilser III and his ruthless Assyrian army was marching down south ready to pillage, ready to destroy, 
ready to execute and deport, death was knocking at their door. And it is in this context that Isaiah 1, Isaiah verse 1, begins with a very striking metaphor. In the middle of a devastated forest, a wasteland where there's nothing but death, a shoot comes up from a burnt stump, a branch that bears fruit. It's this incredible image of the humility of God. Because you see, the living God, the maker of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the one who holds everything together, chooses to start his work of salvation, the renewal of the world from a place of fragility and vulnerability. To borrow the words of Apostle John, God chose to make his home. He chose to pitch his tent in the middle of a wasteland. And though I don't agree with everything that Bono, has, Bono from U2 has to say, I think he was onto something when he said, God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we're with them. We often pray, God, can you help them? But can it be that our prayer ought to be, God, how can I be among them? There's some dark places in this world, very dark places, and God is found in those places. And so my question to you this morning is, where is it that God is calling you to join him? What are those, those dark places? I know some of you who are part of youth group traveled to Ensenada, Mexico in 2019. Did you know that God was present with you there? Did you know that he met you through the Hernandez Granadas family? That when you were involved in this tedious hard work under the sun, he was present. Do you remember the joy that you felt as you played with their children? The tears that you shed as the keys to their new home was being handed to them? The realization that you had that you thought you were the, one, the rich person, the, the person who's coming from Canada to offer something to these poor people, and then you come to the realization in that place that you are the poor one and that they have so much more to offer to you. That is the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. God is with us if we're with them. Where is God calling you to join him? As we move into verse 2 to 5, Isaiah points to the central figure who holds the key to a world healed, reconciled, and made whole. There are two things that we note about this person. Number one, this person is completely dependent on the Spirit of God and Yahweh. Second, Righteousness is, is at the very heart of the work of this individual. And in the history of humanity, there is only one person who fits that profile. His name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. 
Nothing that Jesus did was independent of the Spirit of God and Yahweh God the Father. Everything that he did was birthed out of the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. If you read the text, the Spirit of God rested on the Son, and the Son delighted and depended on the Father. Over the years, I've studied with seminarians, really brilliant seminarians, both in the master's and doctoral level. I've taught adults in both church and theological settings, and I've come to the conclusion that they aren't the ones that have the best theological questions. Children are. So I remember one day, I remember the inquisitive look on my son's face, Teddy, when he asked, Daddy, who made God? Gulp. <laughs> well, God, he's the uncreated one. He's eternal, which means he has been, is, and will be forever and ever. Well, it wasn't like that, but just, you know, in more concrete terms. And then he had another follow-up question. It's a very Teddy thing to do. Then if there was no one before God, what was God doing alone? What, was he bored? What was he doing before he created the universe? Because this is where all the action is, right? My response to him was, well, good questions, Teddy. Why don't we ask mom? <laughs> Well, I'm only kidding. That's not the response that I gave him. From all eternity, at the very center of reality is the community of self-giving love, the intimate relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. There was no whatsoever boredom there. Daryl Johnson in his book, Experiencing the Trinity, writes, the living God is not a solitary guy. The living God is not an isolated God. From all eternity, the living God has lived in relationship, indeed has lived as relationship. At the center of the universe is relationship. From all eternity, the living God has been community and family. From all eternity, the living God has been infinitely pleased as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is out of that relationship that self-giving love of Father, Son, and Spirit that the world was created. And it will be out of that same self-giving love, out of that relationship that the world will be healed, reconciled, and made new again. God is on the move. So what does that mean for us? Are we just bystanders of, these, of this action that God is doing? I believe we're not just simply bystanders. I believe the good news means that we are invited in taking part in renewing this world. And the basis of that invitation is righteousness. Righteousness is at the very heart of the work that Jesus is doing. And by righteousness, I'm not talking about this sense of uh, spiritual superiority where you're you know, much more holier than someone else. That's self-righteousness. If there's anyone who hated that, it would be Jesus. By righteousness, we are referring to right relationship. Right relationship with God and others only made possible by Jesus. Because you see, on the cross, Jesus took upon himself all that separated us from God. 
On the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to come to a right, reconciled relationship with God. On the cross, the righteousness of Jesus became our righteousness. So when we experience the love that was poured, on the, that was poured out on the cross, the words in John 3 and the words that are in John 20 intersect and come alive in significant and fresh ways. For God so loved the world that he sent this one and only son, John 3. John 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus' mission becomes our missions. And when we experience the, the love that was poured out on the cross, our hearts start to break for the things that break the heart of God. Our hearts are moved by the things that move the heart of God. That's righteousness. Not the sense of, I am holier than you. It's worth quoting Darrow again. As Robert Boyd Munger, the author of My Heart, Christ's Home, used to tell, tell his students, the closer you get to the heart of God, the closer you get to what's on God's heart. And on God's heart is the world. Your neighbors, my neighbors, empty, rebellious, broken people for whom the Son died, people over whom the Spirit broods. How can we, how can we help but to love them when we know and feel the love of the Trinity for them? Not just loving them with our love, temporarily up and down, but seeing God love them and joining God in loving them. And so with all that is broken in this world, where do we begin? In an interview by Malcolm Muggeridge, a well-known skeptic of faith, he interviewed Mother Teresa, who had spent her entire life caring for countless individuals who were rejected, orphaned, and dying. And she spoke of the renewal of the world in this way. I don't agree with the big way of doing things. To us, what matters is an individual. To love the person, we must come close in contact with him. If we wait till we get the numbers, then we will be lost in the numbers. And we will never be able to show the love and respect for that person. I believe in person to person. Every person is Christ to me. And since there is only one Jesus, that person is the only person in the world for me at the moment. We begin with one person. So today, this week, this month, who is Jesus calling you to join him in loving? Who's that one person? Is there someone who is hurting that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind right now at this moment? This Advent, Jesus, the light of righteousness, is inviting us to make our home in the middle of a wasteland, in the slums, in the cardboard boxes, under the rubble of war, in the debris of wasted opportunities and lives, 
and he's inviting us to join him in renewing the world because he's resolved to love it and to save it. A world where wolves live with lambs, lepers lie down with goats, cows feed with bears, infants play near cobra's den. A world no longer marked by the cries and tears of hurting children, grieving families, lonely spouses, and homeless refugees. A world that we've always longed for. A world healed, reconciled, made whole. A world made right. So we look at this world, diseased by the pandemic, devastated by natural disasters, fractured by racial injustice, poisoned by those who abuse power, scarred and marred by war, and we're not overwhelmed. But we pray, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hate, let me do all that I can to sow love. Where there is injury, help me to live out pardon, Jesus. Where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, and where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Be our light. Shine your light through us. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.